Hello and welcome to Broccoli News, Radio Broccoli's weekly show with news, interviews and information, including updates on all you need to know about what's happening in and around the hospital. I'm Alan Joyce. Today we've got a very special programme as we hear from Michelle Monroe, the daughter of legendary singer Matt Monroe, ahead of a special four-part series on her father's career over Christmas on Radio Broccoli. We'll be hearing about the series called The Boy from Shoreditch. We'll also hear an insight into the archives of his recordings and we'll take a listen to a couple of his classic tunes. This is Hospital Radio Broccoli, London's longest-running hospital radio station and the multi-award-winning hospital radio station. So Radio Broccoli has a range of special shows coming up over Christmas, and one of the most exciting is a special four-part series on Matt Monroe, told by his daughter Michelle. Our reporter Ron Laver caught up with Michelle to find out more about the programme. Today I'm talking to Michelle Munro, daughter of international singing star Matt Munro. Michelle has produced a four-part radio series on her father under the title of The Boy from Shoreditch, which Radio Broccoli is proud to be showcasing on four consecutive nights over Christmas. Uh, Thank you for joining us today, Michelle. My pleasure, Ron. What made you take on what must have been a mammoth task of sifting through hundreds of hours of recordings, Uh. not only commercial recordings and uh, radio recordings, but also uh, home recordings, as far as I can make out. Well, the thing is, this year was Dad's 60th anniversary of his very first hit, Portrait of My Love, and it was also his 90th birthday on the 1st of December. So I wanted to do something special this year, and it started out in March when we released the brand-new album, which was Stranger in Paradise, The Lost New York Sessions, Now, that had taken over 50 years to bring out the way that Dad had intended. So he went into a studio in New York, laid it down with just five musicians. He didn't want the big band and orchestras that he was known for. He did it, laid it down, walked away, was really feeling pleased with himself. But unbeknown to him, the producer decided that he was going to overdub brass and he butchered it and Dad walked away from the project. So it took all this time for me to bring it out exactly as it was recorded. And it was new material. And it went straight to number eight in the charts and was in the charts for an incredible 27 weeks, which Mm. in this day and age is not bad show at all. No, that's right. So that was the way we started the celebrations. And then I said to Richard Moore, who's the estate's archivist, but he's also the sound engineer, we've worked together 15 years We just went through all of this material. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of hours of interviews Dad did between 1962 and 1984. Um, But then we decided that we would give it away for free as our thank you to the fans for all their support for buying not only that album this year, but for all the support over, you know, the legacy that Dad left behind for years infinitum, you know. Um, And yes, you're right. I mean, it was a labour of love because it actually took Richard and I six months just to go through all the interviews and catalogue the year and what he talked about. 
And then when we'd done all of that, then I could think, right, okay, he talks about portrait here, so does George Martin, so does this one, so, and then collate that, and then write a script around it. So originally we were going to do three episodes, but we just couldn't fit it in. It was <laughs> too much. And the thing is, when you do an album, you can't put maybe a jingle on it or a demo or something that's not maybe perfect quality. So there's a lot of this stuff has never been heard before. So I thought this doing this audio documentary was a perfect vehicle to be able to let people hear it. I mean, you know, he did demos and jingles that uh, people probably know nothing about. Um, and then, of course, you've got the hits on there as well, you know. And someone said, but you wrote the book. Well, I wrote the book 10 years ago, and although it's very comprehensive, you read, oh, he released this, he did that, he did that. Whereas the audio, you hear it. Hmm. But it was very, very difficult, Ron, because unlike the book, which was quite difficult in itself to write, I was listening to Daddy talking on this. So all the research, I'm listening to his interviews. So not his singing voice, but his talking voice. And at times it got very overwhelming. Hmm. I can imagine that's a very, it must be a very personal experience that, that not many of us will have. No, I, I'm a very lucky to have this sort of uh, archive material that a lot of children don't have of their parents. But it wasn't just dad, it was my dad's siblings, my mum, and and people that are no longer here anymore. So it it had its difficulties, but I feel that overall it's it's the right vehicle, it's the right project for the right moment. Mm. Yes, your your father's been gone uh, 35 years now, so... I can imagine what a well I I can't imagine it actually because I haven't got recordings of my father yeah but that must that must have added to the strain of doing it all yeah well as I say because it's personal and you know I could I might have been in the room when he did that particular interview and and I you know your memory plays tricks on you and you you go back and you think gosh I was there you know and it's almost like hearing a ghost in one way hmm it took me a long time to be able to listen to his singing voice after he passed away. Really? Uh, yeah, because it's like, as I say, it's like hearing a ghost. I had to be very prepared for it. The very first time was a couple of weeks after he went and uh, I'd gone to a hotel for a meeting and got in the lift and his music was on inside the elevator and I freaked out because it, I was so unprepared for the moment and it really threw me, you know. Mm. I remember your father being introduced to the world, if you like, in, ter- in terms of myself as, as a listener, listening to radio at that period and, and buying records. I remember him being introduced as the, as the singing bus driver. Yeah. Um, and, and I had this, this uh, vision uh, and always have had this vision that uh, he was driving the number 59 or whatever and someone plonked him down in a studio and immediately made hit records. Ron, um, there's no such thing as an overnight success. No. Don't no. believe what you read. <laughs> no, My father had so many, um, if you like, chances and they all went horribly wrong. So, in fact, by the time he met George Martin... He already had two failed record contracts. He was 30 
and the uh, blue suede shoe era was coming out. You had Cliff Richard and Elvis, and he thought he was done for. You know, he thought his chance was was gone. So. It is timing, it's luck, it's, you know, it is being in the right place at the right time. There's no question, you know. Mm, mm. Yes, in in fact, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it, in some ways, it's even more remarkable that it, it took that long. And when he did finally appear, as you say, the, the music scene was changing it completely. Was, yeah. And I mean, your father, for people who don't know, I mean, there may be some uh, that uh, was a was a uh, what we'd call easy listening singer. Yeah, um, the right and, and crooner, whatever. There's a lot of titles. Yeah. It's very laid back, and I mean, you know, it's the sort of music that, for instance, Gary Barlow writes today. You know, they they love songs and they're and they're mm. classic and. The music Dad recorded, like we were saying, Portrait of My Love, 60 years old this year. It could have been written last year. It's yeah. timeless. It is. And, uh, I mean, we're a hospital radio station and, and it's one of the, the many tracks of his that we regularly get requested to play. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, every time I hear it, it, it is timeless. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is, and because of the current situation that we're going through um, and the fact that people can't visit their loved ones in hospital, for me it was important to give it to hospital radio for free because music is so important. It, mm. It's a feel-good factor. It releases endorphins and makes you feel good, you know, and I think it's important. Yes, and I, I think this series of programmes, um, I haven't heard them all fully, but... Uh, Shame on you. <laughs> well, I'm I'm planning to. I'm only joking. <laughs> but uh, yes, I mean you're absolutely right because it for for those of a certain age, um, it 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 brings back memories because his his career his his professional career in terms of uh, uh, fame uh, was spread over over two decades, wasn't it? Sixties and the seventies. He became an international star, uh, every, you know, all around the world. And as you say, he he's still being played and requested today. Well, he was very fortunate in that he, he really, most of the time, knew a good song. And he was the first singer to record a James Bond theme. I mean, you know, From Russia With Love, was although it was the second film in the franchise, the first, Dr No, only had an instrumental. So Dad started a tradition that still carries on today. Then you've got Born Free. You've got The Italian Job. Now, those just those three movies, and he did a lot more, um, made him, transported him from being that of a British singer to a worldwide performer. Because Japan, for instance, the Bond movie was in the top five, and they rang up, and we must have Matt Monroe. And he was getting bookings from all around the world on the strength of those tracks. So, you know, it was very fortunate that uh, he picked the, the, the right songs, you know, him and George Martin, mm. um, because it's very hard to break into other countries. But in fact, most of his work came from abroad. I mean, he did Australia 15 times. You know, they wanted him every single year. So did the Philippines, so did Hong Kong. And, and so he was spending nine months of every year away. But, you, you know, the thing is, a singer or any artist is only as good as their last single or performance. Um, and you didn't know whether the phone was going to ring with the offer of work. 
So Dad took things that he may may have not have done normally, but um, he did what what he had to to make sure there was money coming in. He was also very big in South America, I think, and, and actually recorded in Spanish, didn't he? He actually got his first platinum disc was in Spanish. An entrepreneur um, flew over from South America um, and asked him to record in Spanish. And he said, well, I cannot sing or talk Spanish. No, it doesn't matter. He said, we'll do it phonetically. And so the album, the single, went straight to number one. Um, it sold seven million copies in, in days. And uh, as I say, got him his very first platinum disc. And that was great until the office started coming in, which meant that he had to sing live in Spanish. And that really threw him. <laughs> so he used to have big boards in the wings that his stage manager would hold up so that he could look at the words that's, that's when he was singing. <laughs> you know, but it yeah. wasn't just Spain. It was the Latino, the whole market. They loved him. And it, it wasn't because his Spanish was excellent. It's actually not that good. But the fact is that they loved the fact that he paid his respects to them by trying to sing in their language. Mm. And they, they took him to, into their hearts because mm. of it. On a personal note, how, how, how do you remember your father? I mean, we all know him as a, as a big singing sensation. How do you remember him personally? He's just my dad. Mm. You know, I miss him every day. Mm. You know, it, it's... You know, the early years were very hard. As I say, he had to travel. He wouldn't take us out of school because of his own um, sort of instability growing up. And uh, he didn't have any one home. He went to five schools. It was very displaced. Um, and he wanted more of a stable life for his family. Um, so there were long absences. And then as we got older and then there was time he did. He went. He went suddenly, and the, so yeah, it, it's very hard sometimes for me to get my head around the fact that he was only fifty-four. You mm. know, and then it's no age, is it? So, no, no absolutely. Um, and the thing is that studio time is very, very expensive. Um, so whatever time you had left after you'd done what you'd gone in for, they'd lay some tracks down. George Martin, Dad, and his musical director. They'd have a couple of extra tracks and they'd lay them down and they'd go in the archive. So <clears throat> after he'd gone, um, EMI invited me to into the archives and I found wealth of material in there. And I thought, oh, it's got to be B-sides or duff takes or something. And it wasn't. It was just things that hadn't got around to releasing. So I brought out the rare Monroe, which had over 50 tracks on it. I mean, like they weren't, Obscure numbers, there's things like New York, New York, My Funny Valentine, just songs that people hadn't heard Daddy sing before. And then five years later, I brought out the rarer Monroe with another 60 tracks. So, you know, I'm not a lover of the best of and the greatest hits and keep, you know, bringing out the same things. And so I've made sure over the last 35 years to bring out uh, you know, individual albums like we did one with Nelson Riddle. We did live in Australia. The, as I say, the rare Monroe. We we did um, live in Hong Kong, and then this new album is all brand new material. So, and we waited six years to bring it out. So we just like to leave time in between. You can't just thrash them out. <laughs> you know, 
And it's brilliant. Um, as I say, it's brand new material. So it's stuff that would never have been heard had I not uh, delved into the archives. I mean, EMI were very good. They gave me carte blanche. And uh, for seven years, I just released what I wanted when I wanted. So it was, it was a great relationship. Mm. And of course, when they went down, the Stranger in Paradise, the Lost New York Sessions, was the last project on my list for EMI. And then they went down. And I thought, this album is destined never to come out. So, you know, that's, I don't know how long we might have been gone there, maybe over 10 years or something. Um, so, again, I had to wait. And then Universal contacted us uh, two years ago and said, you know, we want to do something. And have you got anything in mind? And I said, yes, I do, actually. And so that was the result. As I say, I'm so proud that he spent more than six months in the charts, um, you know, without publicity. Um, it's mm. all done, you know, from radio interviews and the like. Um, but, you know, um, for instance, he's just being awarded a, a heritage blue plaque, um, which was supposed to go up on his birthday on the 1st of December. Uh, the heritage people were very good. I mean, they put up a temporary plaque until we can do a proper unveiling. Um, and then on uh, Christmas Eve, uh, Talking Pictures are airing the Matt Monroe concert, you know, an evening with, um, which is great. You know, it means that, you know, new people will see and hear the music. And, and that's the whole point, that you mm. want to get, you know, new new fans and younger people interested so that it carries on into another generation. Mm. You know, and the thing is, we set up um, a, an official YouTube page for Dad. Um, so if after Christmas you want to listen to the documentary or you missed an episode, you can then go back there and listen. It's all free, you know, it's there to be listened to. And I hope people enjoy it because apart from Dad, and Dad is telling his own story where possible, that's what's the beauty of this. Yes. Um, and then, as I say, you've got his siblings, my mum, my brother, but there's a load of his famous friends as well, people like John Lennon and Quincy Jones and um, Billy May, and Bob Monkhouse, Anton Dubeck. I mean, there's just a wealth of people that paid their respects, and it's lovely. Mm. Well, as I say, I've, I've, I've dipped into it, and I found it absolutely fascinating um you know hearing the story and 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 all the little behind the scenes pieces that were all news to me i never 100% took the uh, took the singing bus driver bit on on face value but uh, it, it yeah the fact that he struggled you know after being a bus driver but he, he was then... only a bus driver for, for under yes. three months you know it's just that <laughs> yes. at the time the pr company thought oh great cinderella story you know busman makes good and and it stuck um but yeah. th that's the whole point that there are things here that people haven't heard um and then they don't they might know the story but they don't know the whole story mm. and the thing is it's dad is telling it it's not like me fabricating things and thinking, oh, this will sound good. It's dad telling it. I only, I only narrate it. I only link it together. So, no, I'm very pleased with it. I'm, um, and hopefully people will enjoy it. Well, yes, it is a very interesting series. I'm looking forward to having the time to sit down and, and, and listen to all. And we really appreciate 
the gesture you've made to hospital radios and I know a lot of the stations are either running it at the moment or planning to run it over Christmas Um, and uh, yeah I highly recommend it to our listeners and uh, you know thank you on behalf of his fans thank you for all the work you've done um, over the years in bringing out feeding us these extra tracks that have been hidden or or you know just weren't released at the time etc and uh yeah his name lives on and yes. and and i think he's as popular now as he ever was well i mean the thing is that's what i've been doing and is literally trying to keep the legacy of music he left behind alive and you know i myself have my ms i spent my fair share in hospital so i know how important entertainment of any kind is and certainly mm. music and and uh, it can transport you away from the misery of the moment absolutely yeah and that's that's uh, what we're all trying to do with hospital radio and i think these these programs make a great contribution to that thank you it, is there anything further to come do you think that hasn't been heard or have you exhausted that avenue now uh, never exhausted everything, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what's next. I mean, it's you know, I've had the new album. I've had this. I've I've just finished my new book, which has nothing to do with Dan. Um, you know, I work twenty four seven because I need. You know, I have to keep busy, um, and I never know what's going to come into my head. But you know, these weird and wonderful ideas come along, and Richard goes, "Oh no, not again." <laughs> Richard, poor thing. I mean, he gets these phone calls and I've got an idea. And he went, really? Because <laughs> it inevitably means a lot of work for him, you know. I mean, yeah. I don't think anybody outside the industry can understand or appreciate the amount of months and months that this took to put together. Mm. You might hear it in four hours, but it, it took a year nearly to put together and bring it to how it is now. And I mean, but it's worth it, but it, yeah, there are a lot of work, but I think the outcome is, uh, is, is correct. I think yep. it's, I hope it's done justice to dad and, and the memory for people have of him. And hopefully they'll hear a few things they haven't before and maybe learn something they haven't before. And hopefully some others will, will fall in love with his music. Absolutely. I, th- I think so too. And uh, well done to you for all that hard work. I mean, I've done a variety of one-hour specials for radio over the years, as you know, um, and and I send them in every now and then. And uh, I love to do it because I support hospital radio fully. But mm. it takes a lot of time and money, obviously. Um, and it's better now because I used to have to, to print discs out, you know, and then post it. <laughs> so it was costly. But now, of course, everything can be done electronically. So... Uh, but yes, I mean, I shall endeavour to carry on and do my bit, if you like, hopefully, um, for the, in Dad's name. Well, all strength to you in that endeavour. And uh, thank you so much for sparing your time to talk to us today, Michelle. Really appreciate it. No. And as I say, I'm highly recommending this to all our listeners. Thanks, Ron, and have a great Christmas. A wonderful voice of Matt Monroe, and that was Softly As I Leave You. And a big thanks to Michelle Monroe for speaking to Ron Laver. What a really interesting story that's going to be. Now, you can hear the full four-part series, The Boy from Shoreditch, 
on four consecutive nights here on Radio Broccoli at 8 o'clock in the evening, starting this Wednesday, the 23rd of December. So that's 8 o'clock till 9 o'clock on Wednesday, uh, then continues through Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and on Boxing Day as well. And we've got a whole range of special programmes for you here on Radio Broccoli over the festive period, which I hope you're going to thoroughly enjoy. Radio Broccoli and Broccoli News returns at the same time next week. But from me, Alan Joyce, a very happy Christmas and goodbye. (music) 